We are continuing on the Lord's Day evening to preach through the Baptist Catechism, our Catechism. And as I have been saying on Sunday mornings, I've been exhorting the congregation to come out on Sunday evenings because I think this is such an important thing to be done always, but especially in our day and age where many churches are forgetting Christian doctrine. Um, and in fact, it is easy to skip, skip over uh, some very basic Christian doctrines in, in the preaching ministry of the church, but a catechism does help us to deal with um, those essential doctrines, even the ones that are difficult and rather unpleasant to talk about. And indeed, we have one of these subjects before us this evening, the subject of hell. Uh, but we must discuss it, brothers and sisters. We must teach these truths. They're clearly taught in the pages of Holy Scripture, and they are vital, therefore, to to our faith and to our practice. This is our custom to, to recite the catechism at the beginning of uh, the sermon on the Lord's Day evening, and so let's do that very thing. The question is, what shall be done to the wicked at the day of judgment? Repeat after me. At the day of judgment, the, day of judgment. the bodies of the wicked, the bodies of the wicked. Being, raised out of their graves, being raised out of their graves, shall be sentenced Together with, their souls, together with their souls to unspeakable torments, to unspeakable torments with, the with the devil and his angels forever. The scripture reading for this evening is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 34. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. This is the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When the Son of Man comes in glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's bow together and pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon the ministry of the Word this evening. Father, help us to understand your Word. Help us to 
comprehend these difficult truths that are presented to us here. Father, open our eyes to the severity of our sin. May we leave tonight confessing that you are indeed just, but you are also merciful and kind, for you have provided a Savior for sinners such as us. May you get all the glory, honor, and praise in Christ's name. Amen. Talk of hell is weighty. It is a very heavy and serious subject. And every Christian does feel this heaviness within their soul when they think of someone being sentenced to hell. And it is right that they do. It is similar to the heaviness that fills a courtroom when a criminal is tried, convicted, and finally sentenced. I don't know if you've ever witnessed such a thing. But if you've ever witnessed it, there is a heaviness that fills the entire room. Everyone in the room can feel the weightiness of the moment. Everyone knows that something very serious is happening. And even if all agree that the man is guilty and that the penalty is perfectly just, those who have any love and compassion in their hearts will feel a sense of sorrow even for the condemned, knowing that a life has been ravaged by sin. And how much more is the weightiness of the final judgment and eternal damnation? It is certainly right to say that the Christian should never rejoice at the thought of someone going to hell. The Christian should feel sorrow at the thought of even their worst enemy coming under God's condemnation. Just as it would be concerning if a courtroom erupted in jubilant celebration when the sentence of death is pronounced upon the condemned, so too it would be concerning if someone rejoiced even in their heart concerning the thought of a man going to eternal punishment. Only one who is consumed with anger and a desire for vengeance could feel such a thing in their heart. And as I have said, it is right that we feel a sense of sorrow for those condemned, for this is truly a weighty matter. But let us be sure not to err in another direction. And that would be to consider the judgments of God to be somehow unnecessary or unjust. While it is true that the thought of men coming under the judgment of God is weighty and ought to produce a sense of sorrow, it is also true that we also should say it is right and even good. I think if we go back to the courtroom scene, you will see what I mean. If when the guilty murderer is sentenced to death, the courtroom erupts in jubilant and cheerful celebration, that shows that men are very angry and even vengeful. And this cannot be the disposition of the Christian. But will anyone dare to say that it is wrong for them to celebrate the fact that justice has been served? Will anyone dare to say that those who have lost a loved one at the hands of the murderer are wrong to consider the judgment to be fitting, right, and even good? And so you see that justice will always produce a mixture of thoughts and emotions, and this is right. It is right for us to grieve over the destruction that sin brings, but it is also right for us to celebrate when justice is served. If we rejoice in this way over the just judgments of men, how much more so should we rejoice over the just judgments of God? And brothers and sisters, I do want you to rest assured that God's judgments are and will be perfect. They will be perfect. For God is not driven by a passion for vengeance, as we sometimes are. 
so that he is moved somehow to overdo it. In fact, the scriptures reveal that he takes no pleasure at all in the death of the wicked. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 33, 11. There we read, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That is an important passage. It reveals to us something about the character of God. He says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And when God judges, He does not judge with limited knowledge as we do, for He is all-knowing. And so God's judgments will be absolutely perfect. Human judges and juries do their best to judge according to what they know. They rely upon evidence and testimonies. But they do not see for themselves whether or not the crime was committed. But this is not so with God. The judge of all the earth sees everything with perfect clarity. He even knows man's thoughts and the intentions of their heart. And so he does not struggle with the issue of limited knowledge when he administers his justice. So he is not driven by passion, nor is he limited in his knowledge. He is able to judge with perfect righteousness. And when God judges, He will get it perfectly right, for He Himself is just. The punishment will fit the sin, and perfectly so. Psalm 96.10 speaks to this, saying, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He, that is the Lord, will judge the peoples with equity. Equity means rightness or fairness. God's judgments will be perfectly right and fair. And this is why Paul says in Romans, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And so at the judgment, every mouth will be stopped. No one will say, God, you got it wrong. In our prisons, there are men and women who insist that they are innocent. And some of them probably are. For we are flawed in our judgments. But many of them are guilty. They know it, but they lie. There will be none of that going on at the judgment on the last day. For God will judge with perfect equity, and all will see it, all will know it. Their mouths will be stopped. One question that I often get as a pastor is, what about infants that die in infancy? Or those incapable of understanding the gospel? What about them? Will they come under God's judgment? Will they be judged by God? For after all, they are born in sin, aren't they? And yes, it is true, all are born in sin. And I think our confession gets this question just right in chapter 10, paragraph 3. You can read it for yourself sometime, and you can come to me with whatever questions you have at that time. But for now, let me simply say that I know this for sure. This is what I know for sure. God will get this perfectly right on the last day. None will be able to complain against God, saying, This is unjust. This is unfair. We can know this for certain. God will get even this perfectly right on the last day. We can rest in His character. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, and neither should we. But neither should we consider the judgments of God to be bad. To the contrary, they are good. His judgments are and will be perfectly right and just. 
This truth does bring a kind of comfort to the people of God, doesn't it? This world is filled with sin, with wickedness and injustice. It is all around us. And we do long for justice. Why do we long for justice? We long for it because we are made in the image of God who is just. And so it is comforting to know that on the last day, God will right every wrong. We long to see that happen in this world, and oftentimes it does not. But on the last day, God will right every wrong. And isn't it interesting how even those who do not believe in God or in the Christ whom He has sent will comfort themselves with the idea of justice in the afterlife when faced with some great evil. Have you ever noticed this? Even the non-believer will comfort themselves with this idea that on the last day, every wrong will be righted. This predator will get what is coming to him, they say. Or this terrorist who killed thousands of innocents will pay in the life to come. These same people may deny that hell exists for common folk. But they hope that it exists for those who are particularly heinous. They assume that hell exists, therefore, but that it is sparsely populated. They assume that it is for Hitler, Mussolini, and Stalin, and other characters like these. And they do comfort themselves with the idea that God will set these these wrongs right at the end of time. But when it comes to the common man, they consider hell to be a myth. Those who think in this way are right to take some comfort in the fact that wrongs will be made right in the end and that justice will be served. But they are terribly wrong to minimize their own sin and the sin of others. The scriptures teach that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is the gospel. So yes, there is heinous sin. There are heinous sins. And there are particularly heinous sins. But what we must reckon with is that all sin is truly heinous and will be punished on the last day unless we are found in Christ, having been washed in His blood. And so do not believe the lie that your sin is not so serious. It is truly terrible for humans to live in the world that God has made to enjoy His blessings in this life and to partake of His mercy, but to fail to give Him honor and glory. I wonder, do you see this as heinous? Most would say, what's the big deal? We're just living our lives. Leave us alone. But we are living our lives in God's world. We are enjoying His blessings, and yet so many go on and give no thought to God at all. They are discontent, ungrateful. They complain against God constantly. Is this not... Is this not heinous? Is this not vile? We are by nature ungrateful. And not only do we fail to honor our Creator, we worship the creature instead. This is perverse. We worship the creature instead of the Creator. We therefore rob God of the glory due His name. This is heinous sin, deserving of God's just condemnation. And add to this the disrespect that we have shown to mother and father and to others with authority over us, the hatred we have shown to our fellow man, our sexual immorality, our thievery, our dishonesty. We are ungrateful sinners by nature. And I ask, do I really need to convince you of this? Do I really need to convince you of this? It is strange how we read the news and say, 
Look at all the wickedness in the world, right? But we are unable to see the wickedness in our own hearts. We see it in the lives of others while convincing ourselves that we and those who are close to us are basically good and do not deserve the judgments of God. Brothers and sisters, God would be just to send us to hell for all eternity for our sin against Him, for failing to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. He would be perfectly just to do so. But as you know, He is merciful and He is kind. He has provided a Savior, Christ Jesus our Lord. We are to be found in Him. The Matthew 25 passage that was read earlier does clearly teach that God will judge on the last day. Some will go to eternal life and others to eternal punishment. And I cannot take the time in this evening service to walk through this passage verse by verse with you. But let me make some very important observations. They will be brief. One, this is the teaching of Jesus. Some wish to have a Jesus who is only merciful and gracious and kind. And He is that. But this is not the historical Jesus, but only a figment of the the imagination. The real Jesus taught that on the last day, the unrighteous will be judged. And so our Lord is merciful and gracious and kind. But He did also teach the reality of sin and the sure punishment that awaits those who die in their sins. Two, God will judge all people on the last day through Christ, who is in this passage called the Son of Man. Verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, so on and so forth. Who will judge the world on the last day? Well, God will judge the world on the last day through Christ, through the Son of Man, the eternal Son of God come in the flesh. So not only does Jesus teach that all will be judged on the last day if they are in their sins, but He Himself will do the judging. Three, this passage divides humanity into two groups, the righteous and the unrighteous. That is a very basic observation, but it's one that we must notice. The righteous and the unrighteous are here presented to us in this passage. Which are you, I might ask? Four, the righteous are said to be blessed by the Father, This is compatible with what the Scriptures say elsewhere regarding the doctrine of election. The righteous are those favored by God. And on the last day they will be welcomed to inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Do you hear the language that is being used here? This kingdom has been prepared for them and it was prepared for them before the world was even created. This also is compatible with the doctrine of election. Five, The righteous and unrighteous are known by their fruits. The righteous love God and Christ, and this love is shown by caring for the needy around them. The unrighteous hate God and Christ, and this is shown by their neglect of the needy. And so it would be wrong to interpret this passage as if it were saying that salvation is earned by good deeds. That would be contrary to the clear teaching of Scripture found elsewhere. And that would be also contrary to what Christ said at first in this passage, calling the righteous those blessed by the Father and inviting them to inherit the kingdom prepared for them from before the foundation of the world. That is before they ever did anything good or evil. And so it would be wrong for us to assume that what is being taught here is that we somehow earn our salvation by these good deeds that are Described, but it would also be wrong to ignore what Christ says regarding good works. Those blessed by the Father will do good works, friends. If our faith is alive, 
it will truly move us to care for the needy around us. Faith without works is dead, as James so clearly teaches. Truly we will know them by their fruits. 6. While the righteous receive favor or grace from God, the unrighteous are rightly judged for their sin. Did you hear that? While the righteous receive favor or grace from God, undeserved favor, the unrighteous are rightly judged for their sin. The Son of Man will say, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And you will notice that their sin is not what we would call heinous sin. What sin was described in this passage except this? They failed to love their neighbor. They are condemned not for being murderers and liars and thieves, but for failing to show love and compassion to their fellow man in need when it was in their power to do so. Certainly some of them are heinous sinners. They have committed those sins that we consider to be particularly heinous and damaging. But here in this passage, it is simply that they have failed to show love and compassion to their fellow man in need. 7. This judgment will happen when Christ returns in glory. He will return suddenly, as we know. He will return bodily. He will return gloriously, so all will see. And when He does, He will sit upon His throne to judge. There will be no delay. There will be no purgatory. There will be no thousand-year gap. Any teaching which inserts a gap of time between the return of Christ and the judgment is to be regarded as false. And so are you ready, friends? That is the question that I have for you. Are you ready? What you do in this life will have eternal consequences. When you die, your soul will go immediately to heaven or to hell. And when Christ returns, bodies and souls will be reunited for the judgment. Those in Christ, those who believe upon Him in this life, whose sins are washed away, will hear those words, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Whereas those who die in their sins will hear these words, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. What shall be done to the wicked at the day of judgment is our question. At the day of judgment, the bodies of the wicked being raised out of their graves, shall be sentenced, together with their souls, to unspeakable torments, with the devil and his angels forever. Let's bow together and pray. Father in heaven, may this teaching concerning the unspeakable torments of hell move us to be all the more grateful for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. For this is what we deserve. And yet you have been merciful and kind to us to send the Savior to accomplish our salvation and to send the Spirit of God and the Word of God to us to draw us to faith in Him. We deserve none of it. And we are hopelessly lost apart from you, but you have been so kind 
And so, Father, we pray that this teaching concerning hell, this difficult teaching, would move us to be even more grateful for Christ crucified and risen and for the working of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts. I do also pray that this teaching would move us to pray even more fervently for those who are lost. Father, help us to see that life on this earth is so very short, and we are here to further your kingdom, to proclaim your gospel, to teach those who have faith in Christ, to obey all that he has commanded. So, Lord, make us busy about this work, we pray. And, Father, not only should we pray for those who are lost, but we must proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. So, God, move us to do that very thing. If we are timid, Lord, I pray that you would make us bold. If we lack love in our hearts, Lord, give us that love. Father, give us all that we need to speak of Christ in a winsome manner. And we pray that this gospel of the kingdom would go forth in power so that men and women do come to believe in Jesus the Savior. It's in His name that we pray and all of God's people say, Amen.